You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I got the weirdest email like an hour before we sat down to do this show. Okay, okay. There's there's no prince out there <laughs> that needs you to hold his money for him. Okay? I just I just don't think I can do the show without vocalizing how this email made me feel because this is it's the weirdest thing that I've ever read in my entire life. So we we mentioned the fact that I'm going through a divorce and I and I explained that you know just the basics about it because I don't want to get in the way of everything that's happening in the proceedings. There's three kids involved who are living with their father exclusively right now, and there, there's good reason for that. And I've been Mr. Mom for the past, I don't know, 100-some days. I think I added it up the other day. It's maybe the most rewarding and exhausting thing that I've ever done, being completely on my own with the three of them. Uh, but it, it has been just, it's been fun, it's been challenging, it's been something that's been a little stressful. So one of the things that I did after dealing with the trauma they experienced, and after trying to get them on the right path is I finally took the advice of my sister and my mother and even my father. When your father looks at you and says, Chris, you got to go see somebody. You're dealing with some crap. I'm like, all right, fine. You know, I, I can drop the tough guy thing and like go speak to somebody whose like whole job is to deal with somebody that's under the stress that I'm under. So I went and, I, and I've done this once before. I did this when I was a 911 dispatcher because you could imagine the stuff you listen to can sit with you. Well, I'm sure. I went and I got a therapist. And and you know, I'm not ashamed of it in any way. I think that it's, it's a good thing. There's a, there's a time and a place for it. And if you need it, go do it, right? So I go and I see this therapist. And I sat down for the first time in a room with her and did an hour last week. And today I got an email right before I started doing the show. And I didn't, I've never seen this before. Because I like I said, I did this with 911. She wrote all of her thoughts and her diagnosis of me. And sent it to me, like her notes from day one. And the entire time I'm reading it, the whole time I kept thinking to myself, like, this is going to say I'm crazy. Yeah, This isn't necessarily <laughs> an email that you want to get. I, no. It doesn't sound like to me. I, I, not at all. No, I was like, who sends an email about their thoughts about my brain to me? Like, that was, I mean, it was weird. And like, in the end, after reading through paragraph after paragraph after paragraph, I'm going to, I'm going to grip and hold on to tight the fact that she wrote that I uh, that I'm very self-aware and very well put together and very well spoken, but I'm basically just going through some crap. I mean, she didn't write it that way, but that's what it was. And I got to the end of it. I was like, all right, that's good news. At least I'm not crazy, because when somebody sends you something where they're like, this is what I think of how your brain works. You get nervous reading through that thing. Oh, yeah. I, I've never had anybody tell me how my brain. Well, no, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. I am married. I've had people tell me how my brain works. <laughs> Actually, I've had a lot of people tell me what, how my brain works and where I can where I can go stick some of my thoughts. But, right. you know, that, that's but yeah, I, I've never had a professional do it. Let's put it that way. I, I've I've and I've seen a therapist in the past. I've just never had him put it in writing to me. Well, so. the, ne- the next therapy session is Thursday and it's going to be me sitting there for an hour trying to recover from reading about what she thinks of how I think of things like <laughs> Like, I'm so So what do you think about how I think about you? Seriously, I'm so discombobulated after reading that right before we sat down. But we have a show to do brought to you by Cork and Carry. 
at the park at 33rd and Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark with an award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites. Two for one on Tuesdays. Go see Gino. All right. And they got an ugly sweater event going on at their location in Beverly coming up on Friday, I believe. This Friday, ugly sweater Christmas party. There's a DJ from 8 p.m. until midnight. Uh, They've got all kinds of specials, including $3 bush lights and mistletoe mules and heat miser shots and uh, so much else going on. And and I think I'm going to pop in because I've got a great ugly sweater that is Game of Thrones themed. It lights up and has a dragon on it. So, and I think it says Christmas is coming on it. And when you have an ugly sweater competition, I bust that out. I'm at least popping into the top 10, I believe, with that sweater. So Yeah, I I think you got it. I think you got it. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to win. Somebody's going to come up with something worse. But I I think I can hang in there at least and not make an embarrassment of myself. See more about all their events, their specials. Uh, Get down to that location during game days when the season starts up again over at 33rd and Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark. See more at Cork and Carey. Dot com. I think that Chris Getz is a genius. I'm becoming a Getz bot. You, you really are kind of. I, really, I you, am. You, you have fallen in love. Chris Chris Getz Chris. Well, here's the thing. And you can take that how you want. I'll tell you a little history. One, Chris Getz has refused interviews on this show in the past. And yes, that's a, a, true. I thought it was because he didn't like us. But now when I see him making moves... I think it's because he was afraid he would come on this show and agree with me too much and get into trouble. <laughs> he would say things that would <laughs> cause him to lose his old job with the with the the, the White Sox. Uh, seriously, I'm convinced of it because I love what he's done. Understanding, and I say this all the time on the show, understanding who his cheap ass owner is, right? Understanding yes. the position he's in. So, what does he need? He needs a defensive catcher. He goes and he well, gets. He needs a veteran catcher. More to the point, exactly a veteran defensive catcher where there's metrics that show that he helps out young pitching staffs, old pitching staffs. He's good for pitching staffs. He's great for framing. He's he's that's what they're looking for for this season. And he goes and he gets Max Stassi and he gets the Braves to basically pay for the entire contract. He's going to only pay $740,000 and the Braves sent $6.26 million to the White Sox to pay for the rest. Now compare that to the recent signing of Austin Hedges. And this is how close Stassi and Hedges are. Both defensive catchers. Both of them, 31 to 32 years of age. Very similar in age. Uh, Hedges has a career wins above replacement, according to baseball reference, of negative one. And uh, Stassi's actually a positive two. But when you stretch it out over all those years, I mean, they're basically replacement level players that are very good defensive catchers, good with staffs. They, they both do the same thing. The White Sox get Stassi, and they're only paying the league minimum. Hedges is a $4 million contract with the Cleveland Guardians. So who was the smarter GM in that one? Who, who made the most out of nothing? I, I got I to gotta look at Chris Getz and say, that's smart. Like, do I want him to go out and spend a bunch of money? Yes. I don't know what his mandate is, though, from the old miser. So what is he doing? He's getting it fixed. He's saving his pennies because if he goes and makes a move later on in the offseason, he has more dollars to go and spend. You look at the the free agent pitchers that have been picked up so far in the offseason just in the American League Central. And you see Kenta Maeda get picked up. Uh, and he, he, he gets picked up by Detroit. You get uh, Seth Lugo got picked up just recently here in the last 24 hours by Kansas City. And then you look at who we picked up in Eric Fetty. 
Lugo's three years and $45 million. Maeda is two years at $25 million. Fetty is two years at 15 Of those three guys, which one would you rather have on your team that you think has the most upside? I think it's Fetty after what he did in the KBO. Oh, yeah. I mean, Maeda is Kenta Maeda, but he's the on-the-downslope version of Kenta Maeda. Seth Lugo was a bullpen pitcher. Uh, he was a reliever. He's like, a swingman at best. He was, he's getting he was three years man, and $45 million from the Royals. But because he had a good year in Petco out in, in San Diego, which is a pitcher's park. Right. So maybe maybe he can repeat that in Kaufman. It's a, you know, it's a no, pitcher's no, but park here's too. the thing. I would believe more in the guy coming from the hitter-heavy league in the KBO and Fetty after what I just watched happen with Merrill Kelly after he took time away and then came back to Major League Baseball. I, I, I believe in the Fetty ability that maybe it translates from the KBO over to the Major League Baseball with the White Sox more than I believe in a guy who goes from the cavern that is out there in San Diego to any other ballpark. Because there are pitchers that you can look at, and I always do this in fantasy baseball when I'm trying to find pitchers. I'll look at guys, and I'll be like, oh, that guy's going to San Diego? I'm getting him. That guy's leaving San Diego? He's not as good anywhere else. I mean, it's the same thing in Seattle, too. Oh, yeah. And, and, and here's the thing, too. When you're and, and I do this in fantasy baseball, just like I know you do, when you're looking at a pitcher and you find out the news that they have added to their repertoire or changed their mechanics or done something to rework what they were into something new. Think Lucas Giolito after he was statistically the worst starter in Major League Baseball, right? And he comes back and works with Ethan Katz, remakes his mechanics, noticeably remakes his mechanics. Even Carlos Rodon did that when he had that one really great year before, of course, he fell apart physically again. Remade his mechanics a little bit. When you hear something like that, usually there's a chance that at the very least you're going to get a year where the league doesn't know what to do with them because the scouting report is completely tossed on its ear. So I absolutely believe in Eric Fetty over Seth Lugo, again, a swingman, for 45, $15 million a year, right? Yeah. And, and Kenta Maeda, who... Is a good pitcher, but again, he's just he's on the downslope. It's it's kind of like signing Rich Hill at this point. Yeah, you got him for a couple of years, but you don't really know whether or not he's going to hold up. You don't really know if his stuff is going to continue to play. He's had his day. Like his Kenta Maeda's best days are behind him. So, and I say that knowing full well that I'll probably end up with him on my fantasy team because he is going to be in that <laughs> cavern up in Detroit. But yeah, I, I absolutely 100% love the Eric Fetty signing over those two. And and to pull the Max Stassi deal off, which is great because you, you kind of look at it and you go, okay, the Braves, you know the Braves wanted Fletcher. The, in order to get Fletcher on, on the cheap for them prospect-wise, they had to take another salary. The Angels wanted Max Stassi's salary off of there. The Braves don't care about paying the salary. They're just happy to have the guy off the team so they don't have to eat the whole thing. I mean, something better than nothing and getting something back from him is better than nothing. So here you go. Chris Getz takes advantage of it, takes care of a position of need, and you're right. He's not spending the old man's money recklessly on pieces. If your company is going through medical renewal, if you're in the middle of that with open enrollment, you are dreading what's happening next. You're worried about what happens next year, or you're just thinking about getting insurance for your small company. Actually, I just talked to a small business owner that advertises on the broadcast basement on-demand radio network, and they just recently reached out to Butch Zemar at EliteBenefits.net. This listener and also advertiser on this show was like, hey, I want to start taking better care of my employees. I don't want them going into medical bankruptcy. 
I want to make sure they have a benefits program that makes them happy to be here so I can retain my employees. I don't want them dealing with expenses that makes it feel like they're working for nothing. Whether you run the benefits program for your company, own the company, buy insurance privately on your own, or even if you're retirement age and you're trying to figure all of this out, give Butch a call. 708-535-3006 or visit EliteBenefits.net. Doing these things on the cheap doesn't mean, you know, people people see this and they go, okay, it's just going to be that kind of offseason. Everything's going to be cheap. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. You look at how high-priced pitching is going for right now early on in free agency. I mean, look what Seth Lugo got. That's stupid money. That is stupid money for a guy of that caliber to be giving him $15 million a year for three years. You wait for the marketplace to, to regulate itself, but you don't just sit around and get nothing done. That was always the problem with Rakan. Nothing got done. Well, and, and to my point about spending, spending, yes, okay, you're going to have to meet the market for a pitcher. If you, if you need another veteran pitcher, you're going to have to meet the market for him. If you want Jack Flaherty, you're going to have to meet his market, right? But that may not be spending recklessly. When I'm talking about reckless spending, I'm talking about Rick Hahn wasting millions of dollars on Larry Garcia. Wasting getting, millions of dollars. Larry Garcia, by the way, folks, is getting paid $5.5 million this year in 2024. Shohei Otani will collect $2 million and defer the rest of it this year. Yeah. But Larry Garcia will be getting $5.5 million. In fact... That's another thing that Getz is contending with. I looked it up today. Between his deferred salaries, because Liam Hendricks is getting 1.5 and Abreu is getting a million this year, and then his retained salaries, which is you know guys that he had to pay off, like Anderson gets a million dollars when they buy him out, Clevenger gets $4 million, and, and Larry Garcia still has 5.5 on the books. We're, we're talking about $13 million on, for guys that aren't even here. That's a that's a legit ball player that you can't have because of what was done prior to the general manager getting the reins. I know he was in the building, but these were not his decisions based upon where he was at. Now, a lot of teams are carrying deferred guys and a lot of teams are carrying extra money over, so it really isn't that big of a deal. But I do find it funny that we're still dealing with Larry Garcia money, to your point, which made no sense in that signing. It was a wasted a waste of money. I'd rather see the team getting the pieces they need and not overpaying for them. Well, and not doing things like sitting there saying, we know there's a finite amount of free agent dollars you can spend, so let's go give Joe Kelly a bunch of money. Let's go give Kendall Graveman a bunch of money. Let's go give, you know, and bringing this, you know, essentially not not closers, but trying to, to build a bullpen and and build it by spending all your cash there when you're going to get probably more mileage out of putting a veteran starter in the middle of the rotation or spending money to make sure that you actually have another right field option and you're not just relying on a rookie with whose strikeout rate in the minors was such that that it, you know it should have raised alarm bells for anybody who thought he was going to come in and, and be a superstar or you know having a second baseman just in general having a second baseman instead of going out and trying to pick the bones of Elvis Andrews and see if there's anything left you know there for a guy who was on the downslope of his career i mean that's reckless spending and I agree with you. Jerry should pony up the money and he should be spending and, and Chris Getz should be able to spend like he's in a big market. But if he's stuck dealing with that, it's not reckless to sit there and say, okay, if I can take care of the catcher situation on the absolute cheapest I can do it and get a quality player for it, I'm going to do that so that I can take the extra $3 million basically that I would have spent on him 
in the form of, say, Austin Hedges, and use that now to try and bolster and maybe get a bigger contract or maybe move up from more of a Seth Lugo type of pitcher that I got to pay for or overpay for and maybe get somebody on that next tier who I can have as more of a reliable option at the back end of my rotation. Meanwhile, you look at the uh, the pitchers that have been grabbed up already. I would say after Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery, Dylan Cease would be the best option for any team that's out there in Major League Baseball. Oh, agreed. Yeah. So I, I and 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 you could make an argument between him and Montgomery depending on how much you believe he his down year last year was because of the team he was surrounded with. And do you believe that Dylan Cease is closer to the guy that you saw in 2022? Then I put him above Montgomery and pretty close to Snell. So I mean, like at this point, we're getting well, and Montgomery's had some down years too. I mean, yes. he had he, he last year was one of his best years. Yes. So I mean, like we're getting to the point where a team is going to look at him and say that's the best option. Do do we want to pay the price? I do find it funny when I'm looking at a lot of rumors that are out there right now. You're seeing teams almost pushing out there that they're looking at other players that they want to acquire because they're annoyed with the fact that Chris Getz was like, "Until you pay my price, I'm not paying. I'm not giving him away." So I, I love what he's doing right now with that as well. He's not rushing. He's not making a move because he's afraid. He's standing there. He's got his cards in his hand. He knows he has a really good hand, and there's absolutely no reason for him to push the bet or do something silly while he's sitting at the table. And, so, you know, that's what you want from a general manager. That's what you want from a guy who's making decisions. And you also want him surrounded with people that you think evaluate talent well and things like that. So, you know, look, I, I feel like I sing his praises a lot. It's, it's only because I don't see him doing anything that I wouldn't do at this point. I will say this, though, if we get to the end of the offseason and you haven't gone out and signed a legit starting pitcher, if you haven't gone out and addressed right field, if you haven't said, okay, we fixed our defense up the middle, but now I want to get creative and actually start getting players in here to not only play defense, but, you know, can hit the baseball and I'm going to continue to make moves as I build to be competitive in 2025. If I don't see that as the offseason goes on, then, of course, I will not be sitting here saying he's doing a good job. But early on, it makes so much sense to fix the problems you have and not spend a lot of the pile of money that you may have. And I don't know how big his pile is, but he's definitely not spending very much. He's holding everything back. He's waiting to see where things go. And he's addressing the little things right now. And, and that's what they have to do. They have to go and they have to address the little things as they build things up. It's a smarter way to approach this. It's something you yelled about for years when you were like, let's get Major League Baseball players in here. Let's stop, let's stop looking at who's at the top of a list somewhere. Let's stop looking at just OPS like it's a fantasy baseball team. And so that is paying off. And, and speaking of fantasy baseball, I, I, and I want to get into this. In fact, uh, we'll, we'll take this segment. We'll have this brought to you by the official brewery of Socks in the Basement, Hailstorm Brewing Company. Uh, I was just out there just just the last couple of days and, and stopped in and had a couple of pints. Uh, they got a great scratch kitchen there. Uh, 11 a.m. it's open for lunch, Tuesday through Sunday. Uh, really good comfort foods, perfect for this time of year. Uh, they got live music on the weekends. Uh, Santa was there on Sunday, which was which was great. He was walking around. He had Mrs. Claus. I saw Santa walk out with a couple of bottles. <laughs> As you would. I mean, come on. Listen, listen, I love it because there were kids at the brewery, right? And they're all excited because there's Santa. And then Santa exited not out to the parking lot because it'd be weird to see Santa just go to the parking lot, right? Now, Santa's got to get to his his sleigh, right? Yeah. So Santa goes through the brewery. Like, I'm sitting in the tap room and I see Santa walk through the brewery and the actual tanks and everything like that. 
And then he hesitates for a second. He says something to one of the staff over at Hailstorm, and they run back to the beer cooler. And they grab him a few for the long trip home. And I was like, even Santa loves Hailstorm Brewing Company. Uh, hey, you know, know, Rudolph's driving, so it's okay. Exactly. He's got that little red nose. He knows the way home. Uh, located in Tinley Park, 8060, 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. Check out the menu and the beers on tap and everything else at hailstormbrewing.com. Okay, so you you kicked off our fantasy baseball league with a trade. I did. And and I, w- I wouldn't normally talk about it because what does it matter to the listener? Except I, I was struck by how all my decision-making in pulling off this trade was based on my White Sox fan PTSD. Like everything that so, I... So everything that you've gone through... Yeah. Being yeah. a White Sox fan informed your decision-making. Yes, it did. So, so the quick thing, so everybody understands how this league works, so you get what I'm talking about here, because I think this really explains how White Sox fans have been affected by the last five, six, seven years. It's been rough for all of us. It's been this up and down roller coaster of promises that were never fulfilled, and now we just don't trust anybody. We don't. We don't trust anybody. We no, don't trust the no, front we office. Are... We definitely will never trust Jerry. Uh, if I if if it wouldn't leave blank spaces on my wall down here in the bar, I would remove World Series pictures that show him standing there with that big smile on his face on the stage. White Sox fans are the stone-cold Steve Austin in the Attitude Era of baseball fans. We walk around in silver and black. We don't trust anybody, and we swear an awful lot. And we hate the boss. People, and we hate at, the boss. And our boss, yeah. We hate the boss, okay? Anyway, so... Uh, in this league, the breaking glass. it's a 40-man roster for every team. There's 10 teams in the league. So 40-man rosters, dynasty league. You get to keep any player you want to keep that's on your 40-man roster for as long as you want to. But every year, as of March 1st, whoever is 30 years or older, you can only keep four of those guys. So the older guys get peeled off of teams. You see them get traded for prospects, things like that, because you lose control. Like, you can keep a 30-year-old forever. Like, I have Jose Ramirez as my third baseman. And he will be there forever, okay? And so he's over 30, but he's one of my over 30-year-old guys I keep every year. So anyway, I look at my team and I go, I'm dying at second base. And it's so funny why I think my second base is my biggest issue. Because Jonathan India is my second baseman. Now, he's young. He's controllable. He's a guy that keeps getting brought up as maybe the White Sox should trade Dylan Cease to the Reds for Jonathan India. And as somebody who owns Jonathan India in his fantasy baseball league, my answer to that is, Hell no. Well, if Jonathan India is if Jonathan India is the fifth best player you get from the Reds for Dylan Cease, sure. Yeah, exactly. But he's not something that I'm like super excited to go and get for Dylan Cease. Not at all. And the Reds don't value him that much. And I don't value him on my team, the Ninja Black Sox. So anyway, I'm like, I have to attack second base this offseason. And I start sending out trades. Like I sent you one. I sent one to the guy who's got Ozzy Albies. I, I sent I, I actually sent one for Matt McLean, who's a Reds second baseman, because right. I felt like he was a better option than Jonathan India. Like that's that's how much I don't think Jonathan India is good enough for the White Sox to get back in a trade. Because you know Matt McLean has his job come the start of the season. Yes, I understand that. I even I even sent a, an, an idea for Mookie Betts, but I knew that was going to get shot down. Well, the, the owner who has Mookie Betts never trades is, with anybody, and he yeah. values every player as ten times more valuable if they're on his roster. Than, than what anybody else values them. He just loves any player that's on his roster. But anyway, I, I settle on Jose Altuve. I'm like, that team has needs that has Altuve. I think he's a cheating little puke, but he's going to be good for my fantasy baseball team, right? So I reach out with a proposal, it gets rejected, and now I get the proposal back, and I accepted it. And this is what I accepted. And this is what explains my White Sox fandom 
over the last couple of years. I am given Jose Altuve and Ellie De La Cruz, and I have to give up Shane Boz, pitcher for the uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays, highly controllable, young starting pitcher, probably going to be really good in his career. Who you got from me, actually? Yes, and and uh, Jackson Churio, the guy from the Brewers who's the center fielder who just got an over $80 million contract before he ever took an at-bat in the major leagues. Like, here's a guy the Brewers believe in so much, they gave him a boatload of money before he made it to the majors. So he's Milwaukee for Johan Moncada. Right. So why do I make the trade immediately? Exactly for the reason you just said, Johan Moncada. I was like, I don't care if he's the highest-rated prospect in the world. I don't care how much money they give him. I haven't seen him play in Major League Baseball yet. That was exactly what it was. And I was like, Ellie De La Cruz, he had 235, but at least I saw him make adjustments last year. He's infinitely more uh, like valuable than the guy who just got all that money from the Brewers. And I don't trust the guy from the Brewers, even with all of his rankings and his things on, all the list that he's on and everything else like that. I don't trust him because of Yoan Moncada. Because I've seen high prospects, even even prospects other than Moncada. Remember when we had 10 guys in the top 100 or whatever it was? And we're like, right. oh, we're going to be great. Oh, my gosh. We're going yeah, to so be We're going to be amazing. Didn't work out, did it? So, yep. <laughs> so Not like, at all. I don't trust that guy. And so right away I was like, I'll take Ellie De La Cruz for that guy straight up. So then I'm looking at El Tuve and Shane Boz, and I'm like, well, he's a good he's a good pitcher. He's a good young pitcher. What's he doing, though? Coming off of an injury, he's going to pitch probably 110 innings this year. Oh, and by the way, he, the reason why I traded him to you in the first place is because, like you, I get itchy with prospects. Right. And, and I looked at him, and I went, okay, well, here's what I'm trading for. I was trading for because I have room for an extra 30-year-old. I traded for Jacob deGrom, who I'm going to hold on to while he rehabs and have him back for, for a, a nice little run or maybe into the future. And all I'm giving up is a guy who didn't quite get it done before he got hurt, got hurt, and now we don't know what he's going to be on the back end. And maybe I'll live to regret that, or maybe it won't matter a lick of difference. Oh, by the way, I also got Bryson Stott, who spent last year as my starting second baseman, and I guess you probably right, would have you're, wanted you're, him you're back with Jonathan my, You're interrupting my story. Nobody cares about your fantasy team. I'm trying to make a point here. <laughs> but I'm just saying... <laughs> Ed wants to talk about his fantasy team. Look, we'll have a show about your fantasy team. The point that I'm trying to make, my friend, is that I looked at guys that are on list. I looked at guys with huge potential. And as a White Sox fan, after the last seven years, I laughed and said, I don't believe in any of that. Because I have been taught now, after being a White Sox fan, that all of that is just, I don't know, magic fairy dust. It's 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 the it's the you can have this hundred dollar bill or you can have the mystery box. I will take the hundred dollar bill. I don't want your mystery box. Well, the mystery box could be anything. Yeah, it's probably nothing. Like that's how I view baseball players at this point. I'll all take- you had to do, all you had to do to learn that lesson was watch UHF when it came out in 1989. <laughs> do you want the fish? Do you want the red snapper? Or do you want the box? You took the box. Oh yeah. What's in the box? Nothing. You take the red snapper. Stupid. You take the red snapper. Look. That's how I feel, and I think that it's why I have identified with what Chris Getz is doing so much. Like, you can criticize the money we're spending, and you can criticize, you may not like that kind of player. You might say, oh, I wish I would have had this guy, but the one thing he's not doing, the one thing he's not doing is giving me a bunch of mystery box. Like, I know who Max Stassi is, okay? I know the the calculated risk, which is really very minimal, it's nothing, it was Aaron Bummer, to get a shot. At, at getting Mike Soroka 
at a level where you'd be like, holy cow, do we have a guy that's up at the top end of our rotation pitching for? He might not be that. He may not be that at all. I, I'm seeing moves being made, like the, the Eric Fetty move. It, it is it is a move that's made in which there's not a huge investment, and you're you're putting a guy in there where you have a reasonable chance based upon what he's done up until this point in recent history to believe that he's going to be a good baseball player. None of it is mystery box. Like, sure, there's some calculated risks. Sure, anything could not work out here. But I don't see the big swing for the mystery box. And, and I, personally can't handle that stuff anymore. And that's why I believe that if Dylan Cease gets moved, no matter how many people want to poo-poo the idea because they just want to be negative, I believe that it will be for guys that are right there on the cusp of the majors or have had a cup of coffee and they've gotten a chance to kind of evaluate what is this guy. And will they all work out? No, they won't. But they won't be a bunch of single-A players because that's mystery box, right? That's three years of people showing me video, grainy video from a minor league stadium saying, can't wait till this guy gets to the White Sox, and when he gets here, he's not that good. So, I mean, like, I think that when I made that trade, first of all, which I'm absolutely in love with, and I feel like I robbed him, but he he proposed it to me. So he's a positive person, too. That's the thing. Yeah. The guy well, who made the trade with me is a Cubs fan. You don't have to defend yourself. No, 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 no. We don't need to worry about defending yourself. The guy who made the trade for me is a Cubs fan. He sees the world as these guys work out because the Cubs tore everything down, brought up a bunch of guys, and enough of them worked out that they won a World Series. Okay. He sees positivity because his team is already ahead of where the White Sox are in getting back to the mountain. Once again, so he has this rosy feeling about the mystery box. He's like, give me the mystery box. Everything's coming up Millhouse. I'm a Cubs fan. And that's why I think that deal works. The mentality of that fan and his fan base versus the beaten, broken White Sox fan. And that's why I feel like I totally ripped him off because I don't want no mystery box. And he's filled with hope today with what he got from me. Yeah, but filled with hope and 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 actually seeing it ever come to fruition are two wonderfully different things are they because if you would have asked me in 2016 how much do you have hope for the white Sox rebuild oh oh i had so much hope <laughs> so much so, so much, much hope. so very much hope socks in the basement socks in the basement Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.